When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Off the Post is brought to you by Callaway. Just like a podcast, my golf game needs a good start. And if you're anything like me, you know how much a good driver can up your game. That's why Callaway's new epic flash driver with flash face technology is shattering the idea of how fast a driver can be. It's Callaway's first ever driver face engineered with artificial intelligence. What does that mean? Using machine learning, Callaway's supercomputer, yes, they do have one of those, was able to test, refine, tweak, and retest over 15,000 different faces to find the fastest one. That's flash face technology. Learn more at callawaygolf.ca. Welcome to the Off the Post Hockey Podcast, Post Media's Hockey Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by our national hockey writer, Mike Trakos, and this is our playoff edition, I suppose. And what a playoffs we've had, Mike. And um, we're going to start off talking about the specifically the Leafs and then the other Canadian teams and the boat that they're in. And then uh, in our second period, we'll probably talk. Great subject you brought up. We want to talk about hate, um, <laughs> hate in the playoffs. And then uh, you know we want to focus on the Blue Jackets and some other stuff in the third period. So stick, hopefully stick around for that. You can always subscribe through Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating if you like it. But Mike, let's let's start with the Leafs just because I find we've been talking about Leafs and Bruins for four months, and here we are, and we kind of you know the Bruins looked almost untouchable all the way through the regular season, but it, I know this podcast isn't like daily. We're trying to take a broader view on it, so. We don't know what's going to happen. But as of right now, the Leafs are in a much better position than maybe a lot of people thought they'd be. Is that correct? Oh, 100%. And you consider that they're missing Nazem Kadri, so their number three center, a uh, guy that didn't have the greatest of seasons this year, but was expected to be a difference maker uh, just because you know you rely so much on depth at this time of year. Um, he's out for the entire playoffs after a suspension, and I guess that'll go into <laughs> our whole discussion on hate and um how the the first round of the playoffs sees uh, an amped up uh, physicality that we just don't see in the regular season or really any time uh, in the playoffs but um yeah the Leafs are in a great spot um I, I think a lot of the question marks that people had whether it was the goaltending or the defense um they haven't crop uh, popped up um in a negative way like a lot of people thought they would and you know the the stars are showing up uh, Mitch Marner has looked every bit as good as um well better probably than austin matthews really um look like he he's looking like you know as much money as austin matthews was able to get out of the leafs mitch marner is deserving of every single dollar and some um based on how he's played at both ends of the ice so you know if you're a leaf fan um you have to be uh happy right now because the team seems to be clicking um in a way that they weren't in the final weeks of the season it, you know that if we look at how the Leafs are playing, um, you're absolutely right. The Bru- like the, I, I love the fact um, that the storylines we talked about it going into the series. I, I love these storylines of 
you know, the Bruins trying to be agitators, trying to live up to maybe even their 70s uh, legacy, their bloodlines. Of, uh, so much of that is on Marshawn. The, the, ghost, the ghost of Terry O'Reilly and Stan Jonathan, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They still they hang over that franchise. It's so funny how those those identities still stick with teams. But, you know, maybe we've got the ghost of uh, Daryl Sittler and Lenny McDonald for the <laughs> Leafs because as I show my age there, because it has been their skill. And, and you, you talk about their defense is held up absolutely. but. Marner's been better than Matthews, but Matthews has been pretty good. He hasn't been a disappointment. Tavares hasn't been bad, but maybe he hasn't had the breakout game yet. But it is. We're seeing this team do what they do well and come to the forefront. And that's, I think, I think again, it's great for hockey, whether you love the Leafs or you hate the Leafs. I think that uh, they're, they're a very intriguing team to watch and follow, and they play great hockey. Yeah, I think a lot of people, and you know what, I understand depending on where you live, you're going to love the team that you love and you're going to hate the teams that are just natural geographical rivals. And there's always that East versus West rivalry. And within Ontario, uh, people, um, you know, once you get closer to Ottawa, are just not going to like the Leafs. But in terms of the brand and style of hockey they play, I think across the NHL, there's a lot of people that are just intrigued by the fact that this is a team that rolls three lines and they just have still ample amounts of, a skill and speed uh, that a lot of teams just don't have in the NHL. And almost similar to that, those old Washington Capitals teams that played that fire wagon hockey under Bruce Boudreau back in the day, you just, it was pleasing to the eye. And um, the downside of that, and it was the downside of the Capitals for so many years is that you, know, you give up as many chances as you get. And that was the Leafs sort of Achilles heel, especially with the defense that um, really aside from Morgan Riley, uh, just wasn't up to par when you talk about the rest of the league. Well, uh, if something has really kind of come up during these playoffs, is that you know guys like Tavares, guys like Marner, and you know you can really go across that lineup. There's a commitment to defense that we just didn't see. And you mentioned that Tavares hasn't had that breakout game. Well, been matched up against the Bergeron line, and that's a line that includes you know Brad Marchand, who had 100 points, David Pasternak, who had he been healthy, might have challenged for the scoring title this year, or at least been in the top three. Uh, and Patrice Bergeron, who's the best two-way center, hands down, in the league. And, and Toronto's winning that matchup battle. Uh, they're winning it to the point where Bruce Cassidy, the head coach of the Bruins, was contemplating breaking up his top line or has really tried to find ways to get him away from the Tavares line. And you know, that, that is a huge compliment for the Leafs in the sense that they can win a lot, a matchup battle uh, against a line as deadly as the Bruins. And, um, you know, it's a tip of the cap to, I guess, Mike Babcock as well in terms of what he's been able to impart in, in this young team. Well, you know, I can speak for us out here on the West Coast. I won't pretend to speak for Alberta. And after last night's election, I'm not sure I'd want to speak for Alberta, but that's another story. <laughs> Maybe that's a 10-3 podcast. That's another podcast. I guess we run, yeah. Um, but damn you, Mike Trakos, you're part of the Eastern media. That's why people hate the Leafs out West is that, and, and I, I'll be honest, it, it seems to me to be more, uh, you know, when TSN and Sportsnet will lead their broadcast with Leafs highlights when something remarkable has happened out West. Like I, I know even, you know, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders could win the Grey Cup and Austin Matthews slipped at practice, and that's the first 10 minutes of SportsCenter. That's how people perceive the hatred of the Leafs being forced down their throat. But what I would say about this team is they're likable to me. They are likable. They play good hockey. I think Austin Matthews is a fantastic story where you look where he came from, where he's landed in the, the center of the hockey universe, whether you like it or not. And, and again, while people might want to root against the Leafs, I think 
Um, that's a team that the more you watch them, the more you know about them, the more you like them. You've covered them. Are they a good, good bunch to be around? They are. And I remember talking, oh, I can't remember who it was last year. I think it was during the playoffs. And I said, there's a lot of like, is the, are the Toronto Maple Leafs a tough team to hate? And he just looked at me and said, well, they've got Mitch Marner. He's like, if you can just like go, good luck trying to hate a guy like Mitch Marner, who's always smiling. You know, if he's killing a penalty, he's killing a penalty in a way that as a fan, I want to watch penalty killers kill penalties in the sense that he's always looking for breakaways. And He's got a ton of skill. It's almost like trying to hate Elias Pettersson. Like, how do you hate a guy that plays hockey with so much joy, so much skill, so much creativity? And, you know, I, I want to say, I don't want to say up and down the lineup they have that, but, you know, Mitch Marner in a lot of ways embodies that sort of Toronto Maple Leaf, uh, or today's Toronto Maple Leaf, where it's a skilled team, it's a creative team, it's a team that's built on speed. And, and you know, I'd rather see that sort of team have success than, you know, maybe a New York Islanders team where they're trying to win games one nothing or 2-1 and it's all defense and uh, restricting shots against. You know, it, it, the Leafs play a game that is very pleasing to the eye, and I think that's why um, maybe they're sort of turning things around in the sense that even if you're not from Toronto, you, you, you're finding it hard not to root for this team. Uh, I briefly passed comment that a, a former employee here who has moved on to one of the subscription only sports sites did take issue and broadcast it to his readers that you picked Jordan Bennington as your <laughs> <laughs> the trophy winner uh, over Pedersen. So it's uh, it's quite funny how oh, the I've been getting a lot of comments Westerners about that, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not surprised why. Um, just quickly before we move on to our second period. Let's talk about the other Canadian teams. Um, Winnipeg maybe saved it last night. I mean, I know that's a close series. They ended up coming back in the third period and winning in overtime. That's been a good series, like one of the closer ones. Um, and Calgary really have their hands full. I mean, you, t you and I talked about this all, all season about, you know, whether it was the Flames goaltending or something else. There was something that they needed, still needed to show more as the number one seed. But, man, Colorado looks like a handful. Even They don't look like an eighth seed. No, and, you know, getting Kale McCarr, um, who's fresh off uh, national championships, winning the, the Hobie Baker as the, the number one college player in the league, or sorry, in the, in the NCAA, um, was such a huge bonus and shot in the arm for them. Um, he's arguably their best defenseman, um, simply just joining the team as a, um, as a guy who'd never played in the NHL before. So th that's huge. And I'm with you. Um, we talked to this about this to death throughout the year that, you know what, the Calgary Flames goaltending was eventually going to kind of bite them in the butt. And I don't want to say Mike Smith's the reason why uh, they lost the other game because what do you, they gave up something like 56 shots and he's not going to stop them all. But it doesn't seem like their goaltending is really saving the day. And yeah, the, there is some concern there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Colorado was able to pull off that upset. But I'm with you. That Winnipeg. St. Louis series that might be the toughest first round um, in both conferences. Like uh, it, it's really a soft between Bennington and St. Louis, and uh, the way that they just play. The Blues play such a heavy game. Um, you know the Jets have their hands full. It, it took a, a comeback overtime win for them to um, even up the series, and you know that that's one that I can imagine going seven. Yeah, and to go back to Colorado, I was talking with one of our writers here uh, the other day, and if you look at sort of what they have, and and Nathan McKinnon is one of those guys that 
you know, maybe you don't notice him as much because the Avs haven't been front and center in the playoffs. But, I mean, he is a very, like, top line. Put him in that top drawer of, of skill players in the NHL. And, and you look at some of the other pieces they have that have been around for a few years, and then you add a guy like Makara, they've got that Ottawa pick, uh, which I know it didn't turn out to be the first one, but, you know, you're still picking in the top five. This is a team that really seems set up for a run over the next few years. Like, you see the Colorado Avalanche joining the elite in the next uh, two, three seasons? Oh, 100%. Like, they're going to get a fourth overall pick in this year's draft as well. And at that position, they could end up with a guy like Kirby Doc or uh, Dylan Cousins, uh, both uh, six-plus uh, foot centers uh, who play with a lot of skill. So um, I don't know if they're going to be in the lineup right away, but definitely in the next couple of years, they could have um, two solid lines. You got mobility with Makar as well as Samuel Girard, who they picked up in that Duchesne uh, trade a year ago. Um, there really aren't any issues and they're young, right? Like Miko Rantanen's yeah. just coming off his entry level deal. Nathan McKinnon, because he had such up and down years as an entry level contract guy, um, he's on a sweetheart deal as well. Like th there's just nothing but positivity going on with Avalanche and whether or not they get past the Calgary Flames isn't going to change, um, that opinion. So yeah, I, 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 you know, that meant that central division is just going to get tougher and tougher uh, as they go along. And it's, you know, don't count Chicago out as well. They're going to get the number three overall pick this year. And, you know, that's going to be really a division of death as we move forward. Division of death. I love it. Um, like the, the old World Cup group of death. There you it's go. Fantastic. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll leave our, our analysis of the Canadian teams in the first round there and we'll take a quick break. We'll come back in the second period and we're going to talk about hate. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10.3, Canada's News Covered. Welcome back to the Off the Post Hockey Podcast. Uh, Paul Chapman with Mike Trakos here. Mike, you you brought this up. Uh, hate. It has played very prominently in this first round. Uh, I'm not talking about the social media jibes between various uh, <laughs> interns running the NH NHL accounts, but there's been some pretty nasty stuff there. But from Nazem Kadri to Ovechkin uh, and a knockout, uh, dropping the gloves, which you would not expect, uh, Ryan Reeves and Evander Kane, not just the fights, but the, chir the, the chirping afterwards. The muffin like, man. This is, yeah, no, it, like this is it, like it's almost a throwback to, you know, playoffs in the 70s and 80s where you, you would deliberately see this kind of intimidation, but it seems to be bubbling up organically. Like it, and, it makes it great to watch because of the emotional investment, but it's pretty, pretty spectacular how, how the emotions are running through this first round. And it's funny, Paul, because like the regular season was nothing like this. So you, you get this jump for um, from a regular season where you didn't see fights, you didn't see a whole lot of hits, you didn't see a whole lot of suspensions even, and now it's kind of like, okay, old school 1980s hockey. Um, and I think that's the, the biggest shocker is that we didn't go from really a rough and tumble regular season to this. It's like we went from zero to 60 and yeah, welcome to the playoffs and welcome to the first round. I don't think we get this in the second round third round or even the Stanley Cup final. I think this is all amped up. You know what? The, that first round is always the best round 
Um, forget about the NHL. I think in all of playoffs where, you know, anything goes and we're seeing anything goes like the Islanders rolling past the Penguins in four or obviously the Blue Jackets um, sweeping the lightning. Um, there's upsets. There's, um, you know, I just think we see a style of play where in a, you know, a sense of adrenaline that we just don't see in the later rounds. And it's, it's amazing. I, I love it. I, I don't love the fact that Svechnikov had to be helped off the ice after getting his bell rung in a fight. But uh, I love the idea that guys like Ovechkin are playing outside their comfort zone and are doing things that we just don't normally uh, see them do. Um, I saw, I've seen a lot of stuff that's tied to the fact that, you know, the lightning won so many games and, and, you know, are gone swept like, and we'll, we will talk about that, uh, more in the third period. Um, because I know you just, you know, you spoke to the GM, the blue Jackson's got some great stuff there, but you know, you look at some of the teams now, like what they achieve in the regular season, this question about like the regular season's too long. It doesn't mean anything. We can talk about this to death, but they're never going to change it because of the ticket revenue and the broadcast revenue. They're going to leave it where it is. But as you're talking about the intensity, whether it's a playoff format where the Leafs and Bruins kind of knew they were going to play each other for so long or, you know, that the lightning poured so much into being this great regular season team and didn't couldn't go up a gear or other teams sandbagging it like this idea that the emotion is just cranked up. It kind of proves how worthless the regular season is, doesn't it? Yeah, you know what? And as good of a story as the Blue Jackets is, it really, I think it, it almost is a black mark on the NHL that, you know, a year after Vegas comes in as the league, into the league as an expansion team and goes all the way to the cup final, makes it look that easy. Now you've got the Blue Jackets as the eighth seed toppling a team that really, you know, it was historical in the sense that they were that good. Uh, 62 wins. I think they were the only the third team in the history of the NHL to record as many wins. And to go from that to getting swept in the first round, I don't think that's a good look on the NHL. Uh, I think it does render the regular season sort of moot. It, it does give the idea that, you know what, um, the winner and loser of a series is basically down to a coin flip. Um, it's almost like picking teams in the March Madness pool where you don't even have to be a follower of the sport. You can just say, you know what, yeah, maybe Columbus is going to win. And it doesn't matter that they had so... A uh, few wins compared to the Lightning. Um, and, and like I said, I don't think it's a good look. I don't know how you rectify it. Maybe you have an incentive-based uh, playoffs where the number one seeds from every conference or from each conference uh, gets a buy into the second round and you just add another two teams um, in, into the playoff pool. Uh, maybe that's way one way to kind of rectify it. But um, you know what, I, I, as much as we love upsets, as much as we love these Cinderella stories, I, I can't imagine that the NHL, um, has to be happy with the fact that, you know what, it just seems to be, um, sort of meaningless, uh, what you do in the, for the first 82 games of the season. Um, let's go back to Kadri and the hate thing. I mean, this is a guy who has a history of, uh, I, I mean, he's not Bone a dirty player, moves. but he's, well, yeah, well, that, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, one, that's one way to look at it. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he's not a dirty player, but he, he honestly has a temper and emotions as a guy who's been in the league as long as he, as he has, were you a little surprised? I mean, they talk about how, you know, if, if anyone's trying to excuse what he did, it was that he was defending his teammates. Was he, or was that a direct uh, response to, to getting what he thought was a knee on knee hit? Honestly, I think it was selfish. Um, I, I think it was the latter, what you just mentioned. I, I think he was still PO'd about the fact that 
uh, DeBrusque was taking liberties with himself and um, he, he received a knee on knee hit. He received a couple rabbit punches earlier and that, that stuck in him. Uh, up until that point, Nazem Kadri was their best player. Um, he was the one guy who was playing with emotion, the one guy that was delivering hits and was, you know, pushing back. And, you know, he had scored a goal to get the Leafs within uh, two goals and had made it a game. And then he does what he did. And it was very reminiscent of what Kadri did in the first round of last year's playoffs, where, uh, again, uh, was re- retaliating uh, this time uh, to a Mitch Marner hit that uh, Tommy Wingles had delivered and just went at him. And it's one of those momentary lapses of judgment that you know, Kadri is just sort of known for. And like you said, it's not like he's a dirty player. He's not the kind of guy that sticks players, that um, and, and gets involved um, in, in plays constantly throughout the game. It's just that when he snaps, he snaps to a degree where its suspension is almost inevitable. So... You know, he's done the Leafs a real disservice. Uh, he's going to be out for the entire first round of the playoffs. Um, if, you're, if you're the Leafs, the, the only saving grace is that this team is deep enough. And um, maybe with Kadri out, they can play a different sort of style. They don't have to get into the trenches with the Boston Bruins, which, and, you know, get sucked into that sort of game plan. And they can just kind of rely on speed and skill and uh, play a different sort of game. And maybe that's to their benefit. The really dumb part about it, isn't it? That is like you've played into the Bruins' hands. This is what this is this is what Marshawn and DeBrusque do. Like that that's the reaction they want. That's what they're trying to do. That's their whole game plan, and you played into it. Oh, totally. And the Bruins didn't want to play speed, skill. They didn't want to play that sort of fancy game because they know the Leafs probably have um, more more than that than they do. So they wanted to get it into the trenches. They wanted to dirty it up and. Like you said, they they totally go to the Leafs into or Kadri into playing that game that their the Leafs just can't play. So, um, you know, game three um, saw a return of more of the skill based game, and the Leafs were victorious. So I'm kind of curious to see how the series goes. I imagine it's going to kind of yo yo back and forth between skill and brawn, and uh, we'll we'll see which of the two uh, wins out. I was talking to David Backus about that, and he's like, it's the it's the pendulum swing. Where you know what we want to play uh, one way, the Leafs want to play another way, and it's a matter of kind of who can score first and really kind of assert that uh, game into or that style into the game, and the other team has to sort of ha- um, acquiesce to that. So uh, it's kind of an interesting uh, dichotomy between the two teams because you know with Winnipeg and St. Louis, it seems like they're both playing the same style, but Toronto yep. and Boston uh, definitely a clash. Um, it's funny as we talk about hate and intensity, it's obviously the cranking up of emotions because the games mean more and it's great to see that off the ice as well. You know, obviously Toronto lives and dies by this stuff. Uh, We know, we know what a great sports town that is. Boston, fantastic sports town, um, and a very intimidating place to play. Uh, I even think, you know, like Carolina to me is so interesting. They're not doing the storm surge. But it's clear they've engaged that community in hockey because you're even seeing that atmosphere for the Hurricanes as well. I wanted to ask you about the Islanders, though. Here they are. They take out the Penguins. Um, that might be a shock. Obviously, nowhere near as big a shock as, as the, the Blue Jackets beating the Lightning. But to do it in four straight, to do it in what seems so such easy fashion when you're talking about a Penguins team that you thought, you know... They don't take the regular season seriously, but when it comes time to turn it up, they'll be there, and they just couldn't get going. 
the Islanders now have to switch back to this. They're leaving the old dump of the Coliseum, which just seems, I mean, this is like Superman and Clark Kent. They are a different team in that building. And now they have to go back to Brooklyn. Like the Islanders are a really intriguing team, aren't they? Oh, completely. Like they were, they had more points than the Penguins. And yet, you know, everyone, including myself, would have said that they're the underdogs going into that series just because it's Sidney Crosby you're going up against and Malkin and Kessel and Matt Murray and a team that's won two of the three last Stanley Cups. And like you said, it's just a matter of forget about what Pittsburgh did in the regular season. They flip a switch once the playoffs come around and they're just, they rely on that experience and what's uh, worked for them in the past. But yeah, good on the Islanders. Um, Barry Trotz, man, this guy knows how to coach. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they don't give up a lot of shots. They forecheck like crazy. Um, they don't give you a lot of space. And, you know, they just kind of take their chances when they come and rely on Robin Lehner to make the saves. And typically they're easy saves because they're not giving up a whole lot. And it's worked just tremendously for them. Um, they had a better season than the Leafs did. And that's despite losing John Tavares in the summer. And now they're off to the second round and well-rested. Um, and, you know, whether it's uh, Washington or Carolina, they get. Um, you definitely can't take uh, the Islanders uh, lightly, that's for sure. Okay, that's great stuff, Mike. We'll take another quick break, and then we'll be back. Talk a little bit more about the Blue Jackets and some of the other stuff going on around the playoffs around the league. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10.3, Canada's News Covered. Going back to the third period of Off the Post, uh, Mike, let's, you just had a conversation with the Blue Jackets GM. Um, what a great story they are in terms of like you look at the actual market, the fact they'd never won a playoff series, the fact they had these unrestricted playoff uh, or unrestricted free agents that they most likely still look like they, they will lose. And yet they are bold at the trade deadline. And instead of going maybe the safe route and saying, yeah, you know what? Okay, we'll move these guys. We'll get picks and we'll try and reload. No, they said we're all in. And that is one of the more stunning playoff upsets that I can, I can think of. I think it's right up there with um, certainly you got to look at the Oilers and the Kings, which is a five game series back in 82. Uh, Canucks benefited greatly from that because there was no way they were getting by that Oilers team. Um, but also, I the one that sticks out to me was when the Sharks first made the playoffs as an eight seed and they took out the Red Wings, who were the one seed. I know what's happened before. Like, the Kings won the Stanley Cup from the eighth spot, but no one saw this coming, did they? No, no one. And, uh, like, we had the post-media playoff predictions uh, right before the, the postseason started, and we had 19 of 23 writers uh, pick the Lightning to win the Stanley Cup, and <laughs> the... I think uh, only one, was it three others, uh, said that they're at least going to make the final. So <laughs> that that just goes to show that, yeah, not only were the Lightning expected to go past the Columbus Blue Jackets, but they were expected to go to the dance. And, yeah, um, to lose is one thing, to get swept is another. And to get swept in this fashion where none of the games went to overtime. Uh, in game one, they blew a 3 nothing lead. They got completely blown out in two other games. Uh, that's the big shocker. Um, you know, there's got to be a lot of soul searching and navel gazing 
in Tampa right now. Uh, I think it starts with their captain, Steven Stamkos, who, you know, up until um, game four uh, was invisible in that series. Nikita Kucherov gets suspended for one game. They're back to what we're talking about with the hate. Um, in the other games, he was a non-factor. Hedman looked like he was playing hurt, which he probably was. Vasilevsky was probably going to win a Vezina trophy this year. Could not have had a worse playoff. Um, but he looked tired, didn't he? Looked tired and just not able to make the big save. Like every time Tampa came back uh, in last night's game, it just seemed like he gave up that deflating goal right after. And it's like, yeah. that's not what you got. That, that's not what happens. And, you know, it, this is a team, I guess, in Tampa that had a, a playoff spot sewn up by Valentine's Day and was basically playing meaningless hockey through the rest of the way. And to go from that to the amped up first round of the series, of the playoffs against the Columbus team that really was fighting tooth and nail ever since the trade deadline just to get in. Well, I think that was the real effect is that one team was playing like it had been playing for weeks and one team was unable to go from zero to 60 in a matter of days. And, you know, good on the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, the guys they got at the TED deadline, whether it was Matt Duchesne or the guys they kept, uh, whether it's Panarin, or Bobrovsky, they all showed up. Uh, Duchesne had a hell of a playoff series. Four goals, seven points, and four, or three goals, seven points in four games. Uh, that's tremendous. Bobrovsky finally was able to kind of replicate what he does in the regular season in the playoffs. And you know, good on your arm will kick line. And you said that. I said, what are you feeling right now? He goes, relief. Because <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> were calling for his job if the Blue Jackets were going to get bounced in the first round or if they were going to miss the playoffs. So um, he, he believes now that after they we're able to topple the Giants that really no one can stand in their way. And you know what? I'm starting, starting to believe that that could be true. This could be a team of destiny. Well, yeah, I mean, I think at this point you do look at parity. Everyone, like if you're able to do that, um, you know, and the same thing if we look at the West, if Colorado is able to take out Calgary, you know, anyone's capable of beating anyone who's left. There is no prohibitive favorite. And, and I, I think that hopefully carries this wonderful first round, the intrigue into the second round but if you look at the blue jackets um I, i'm gonna ask you about the free agents later but i wanted to ask you about john tortorella tortorella kind of flames out with the rangers goes on tv famously cranky character like there was disbelief in this market when they went for tortorella i can tell you that that they felt that that was what well it was three coaches ago so we're talking about five six years ago he looked like he was yesterday's man there. And people were laughing here after he got let go um, that the Blue Jackets gave up a second round pick to get him. That now looks like it's a genius. What's happened to John Tortorella? Has the league come back to his really traditional, conservative, hard work, grit, run through a wall, block every shot kind of thinking? Or has Tortorella evolved to be a more modern coach? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. Um, I think on this team and with this opponent, it's an easy buy-in saying, you know what, we have to block shots. We we have to play physical. We have to do the things that are really uncomfortable to do for 82 games because, you know, let's face it, no one's beating Tampa by trying to match speed and skill against speed and skill. It, it had to take a different approach, and it had to take this sort of approach where uh, everyone was really buying in and doing it and really kind of going through a wall for the the head coach and for their uh, fellow teammates. And I, I think that's when it works. If you've got a Canucks team that is maybe skilled and thinks it can actually play that skilled game to success and same with the Rangers, then it's a tougher sell. But 
you know, everyone to a man knew that Columbus was the underdog, knew that they had no chance. So, you know, you had to go try something crazy different and maybe Tortorella style um, was perfect for that. Um, I, I can't imagine Columbus winning any other way. What do you think their future is? They went all in on this. Um, no doubt it could be a fantastic story, but do you think that their free agents are still inching towards like, wow, this is great. I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts, but I'm just building my price tag for, you know, free agency. Or do you think they have a chance, you know, you just talked to, to the GM there. Do you think they have a chance to keep it together? Yeah. I asked him about that and I said, you know what? Uh, I saw Panarin, you know, beaming ear to ear last night, hugging his teammates, just looking like this is where he wants oh, to that be. That handshake, that handshake was cold, man. With Kucherov, like, he, I mean, I know that's his buddy, but well, he was like wow. joking, like just maybe a little too happy as he was shaking Kucherov's yeah. hand. Like, I, I agree with you. That was a little bit maybe disrespectful, but so I asked him about that. I said, like, I'm watching that, saying, you know what, this is as good of a selling point as you're going to get for keeping your free agents. And he said, you know, I don't want to speculate on that. Obviously he goes, I respect their rights, um, that they, you know, they'll have to make a decision. That's what's best for them on July one. He said, you know what, all we've said all along is that, you know, we tried to communicate how much we appreciate them. Uh, that hasn't changed. Um, they just want to concentrate on the playoffs and hope that, you know what, you know, if you, if you go on a long run with them, this, these guys are going to understand that they've got something special here and maybe, the grass isn't greener in another spot, whether it's uh, the New York Rangers where Panarin has been rumored or the Florida Panthers, another spot where now that they get Joel Quinville, it looked like that was going to be the perfect landing spot for both those guys. Um, let's t- quickly touch on on a series. we Not just us, uh, we haven't talked about yet, but it finds like it's almost like it's not, not happening. No one's talking about it. Dallas and, and Nashville. Um, that one's still going on. You no, know, fairly competitive series. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's close. Right? Like, What's the score in that one? But you know, Nashville. I think they could benefit from not being on everyone's radar. It's almost like if they can get by Dallas, they're positioned rather well. You know, Winnipeg's getting ground down. Uh, if the Sharks get taken out, um, you know, there's. I mean, I still I look at Vegas, Mike, and I go, okay, this is a team that's showing that they've been there before. And uh, they can play two ways, and they've got a great home ice advantage too. I find the West to be really wide open, but um, where do you think Nashville stands in the bigger picture? Well, can I just go on record saying that before the playoffs began, I had Tampa Bay beating the Sharks in the final. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm you not can. making any more <laughs> predictions. But uh, you know what, Nashville, yeah, they're just, they seem to be that team that just, you know, they don't score. They just rely on a heavy defense and Pecorine to get the job done. And so far, it's looking good. I have the feeling, though, if, if the Sharks are out, um, it, this is really Vegas's chance to kind of go all the way to the cup final again. And you see that second line they've got. And I know we're not talking. You asked me about Nashville, and I'm talking about Vegas. But that's just because no, I'm the same I, way. I, I don't like... have any faith in Nashville, to be honest. I don't, I don't think they can score their way into a cup final again. Something's missing there offensively. And I don't think they're going to get it because Kyle Turris just isn't, isn't putting the puck in the net like how he used to when he was with Ottawa. But, um, you know, Vegas' second line is really humming. Like that Mark Stone, Pacioretty, Paul Stastny trio which all three guys weren't there like a year ago. You know, you add that to a lineup that went to the cup final last year, that is a deadly team. And if Marc-Andre Fleury can keep playing 
uh, the way he's been playing, it's going to be a real, uh, a real tough team to stop to get to the, the cup final. That's for sure. Um, okay, Mike. But again, I, I just want to say again, like, I picked the Sharks to go all the way. <laughs> well, look, I know I know you're not doing predictions. I'm going to tell you, I'm worried for your health because <laughs> if this ends up, I know you're going on the road. If this ends up with a Nashville Vegas series oh boy. and you have to go back and forth, man, what a great atmosphere that would be, wouldn't it? I mean, yes, there would be media casualties for sure, but just the atmospheres in those two places, if you were to get that, you know, down the road, like I just, I, that's the other great story. I talked about Carolina a little bit um, and I know they're still down in their series, but I think there's this emergence, like we see, we'll see it in Columbus as well in the second round, this emergence of these hockey markets that we, we know we, when Nashville went to the finals, we saw how well they've ad- adapted to hockey last year. Vegas was like, no one believed it was happening in the first year, but you you just hear people coming away from the experiences in these rinks, just glowing about the atmosphere. I think it's just when you, to tie it back together a little bit, when you talk about the hate and the intensity, a lot of that is they are feeding off the emotions in these buildings. Oh, totally. And there's very few buildings that are better than Nashville in the playoffs or even Vegas in the playoffs. And uh, I'm with you. Uh, I would love to see that again, uh, just because they're such great cities as well. Um, Great drinking cities, let's put it that way. (laughs) And if I can avoid uh, having to kind of go through Winnipeg where it doesn't seem like you can get a direct flight into any city, um, (laughs) I'm all the better for it. But yeah, uh, I'm sort of intrigued. Like, like kind of we mentioned off the top with Tampa Bay out, does it feel like this whole playoff is now completely wide open? And if you take Calgary out of the equation, and I'm sorry, but I'm not, I'm not completely writing off the Flames because that's a heck of a team there, and I don't wouldn't be surprised if they come back and win that series. But it just feels like the the unstoppable objects are completely out of the equation now, and it's just up for grabs. Yeah, well, it's we probably got to let you go here because I know you got a, a lot of stuff to write, and uh, they are fun playoffs. And Mike, happy Easter to you and to everyone who's listening. We will uh, we'll get back at this next week when we'll have a little bit, bit clearer picture of what the second round is. Um, as always, you can download and subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts. I want to thank our friends at Callaway who have sponsored our podcast. Um, and just like this podcast, my golf game needs a good start. <laughs> if you're anything like me, you know how much a good driver can up your game. That's why you need Callaway's new Epic Flash Driver with Flash Face technology. It's shattering the idea of how fast a driver can be. It's Callaway's first ever driver face engineered with artificial intelligence. What does that mean? Using machine learning, Callaway's supercomputer, yes, they do have one of those, was able to test, refine, tweak, and retest over 15,000 different faces to find the fastest one. That's Flash Face technology. Learn more at CallawayGolf.ca. So there you go. As someone who's out here, Mike, in Canucks territory, you got to talk about golf this time of year. Hey, I love it. And you know what? (laughs) People were golfing uh, up in Toronto last weekend, and it was making me very jealous because I had to go to the rink. But can't wait to hit the links as well. Oh, the rink's going to be a lot of fun all the way through. So thanks for this, Mike. Have a great weekend and a good Easter weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Paul.